Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. You were just saying before we started recording about really wanting to have a girl and that you only saw a girl. It was really profound, you know. Yeah. There was like a deep feminine energy within me that needed to be closed, I guess, you know. Yeah. Did you know you were having a girl? Uh, Yeah, we found out because I was just so impatient. You know, my doctor was like, oh, you don't, you know, you're really low risk. You don't really need to take the test. I was like, give me the test. I was the same. (laughs) Give me the test. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. A big thank you to today's episode sponsor, our friends at Swiss Wellness, making people around the world healthier and happier. Welcome back to Talking Common. Hi, Soph. Hi, Kate. Excited to be back. Yes. Today, we're joined by the lovely Yana Fuchs. Yana is the founder of Birth Education Workshop Radiant Birth. She's a trained dancer, qualified vinyasa, yin and prenatal teacher and mother to her daughter, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yana's passionate and very open about creating a strong community of like-minded women through the journey of motherhood. And Kate and I both believe it's so crucial that new mothers have a strong support network during such a transformative time in their lives. And there's a lot of complexity and vulnerability through this time as well. So we're absolutely thrilled to be chatting with you today, Yana. Welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. How are you feeling? Great. (laughs) (laughs) We were just all saying we all feel a bit nervy today, but. Yes, a little bit nervous, a bit out of my comfort zone, but that's all about motherhood, right? Sitting in the uncomfortable. Absolutely. Very good point. So we can't wait to dive into all the wonderful work that you do and talk about motherhood and all the things that keep you inspired. But we'd like to get a big, nice picture of what makes you Yana. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and your earlier years? Do you want to start from the beginning? Let's start from the beginning. Okay, so I'm originally from South Korea. I'm actually adopted. So I came to Australia when I was four and a half months old. My parents, they just didn't think they could have children. So they went down the adoption route. It was very progressive for the time because you think it's the 80s. My mom was only 25 years old, which is very young. We focus a lot on like the long IVF journey, but adoption is kind of a similar route. I've heard that, that adoption is really difficult, like a really difficult process. Yeah, it's a really difficult process. I think all in up, it was like a four to five year journey, you know? So it's the deciding that you want to do it. Yeah. You have to be deemed unfertile for a year, similar to IVF, before you can start the process as well. And there's lots of bureaucracy and paperwork to sort of move through. You have like social counsellors, there's psychotherapists to see if you're actually a fit enough person to be a parent. There's police checks, people coming to your house to see if your house is deemed worthy to raise a child. And then obviously you are matched up with a, I don't know why they do this, but they 
the process in South Korea is that they match you up with your biological parents having a similar age. Oh, okay. Maybe they think that like they're trying to keep it as close. Mm, okay. To the, that's so in, that's so interesting. Which is like not even a thing, thing you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they find a baby for you. The rest is history, really. My parents then get the news that they're going to have a baby. They come over to Korea. They meet me in a wow. very kind, a similar situation like this, probably a round table in an office wow. where they're told not to show any emotion as well because there's like an interpreter there who is not very good at speaking English mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of broken language barriers, cultural barriers as well, trying to show respect for either party. Mm-hmm. And then I'm taken away. Then 24 hours later, you meet your baby at the airport and then you're handed over. Wow. wow. Yeah. With a bottle of formula and a baby carrier. That's it. That's it. It's like here's the baby. Here's your here's baby. Your bottle. Imagine that trip bottle. home that they had. Yeah. And then, then you become a mother. You become a father, you know. So that was the process, I guess, for my start of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like in so many ways very privileged privileged to be here, to be speaking, be granted an education, to be talking about motherhood on the other side, coming mm. full circle. Mm-hmm. So yes, I guess that was the start of my, where it all began. And then, you know, my mum, maybe just shy of six years later, fell pregnant with my sister, who is their biological child, my sister Ellie. Yeah, by surprise. Oh, wow. Okay. So there you go. How was your upbringing in Australia? What sort of things were you into? What were your parents into? So my dad was in the Air Force growing yeah. up. So I went to six different primary schools. We lived okay. in the UK for a big stint of time. And then we lived in, I think I've lived everywhere. I was like pretty full and pretty fruitful, you know, as far as like shifting and being movable. But yeah, there was always like, I lived in this kind of dichotomy of like, being raised in a white family around white people Mm, mm. but being innately Asian, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like I felt that so deeply until we moved just like north of Sydney on the Central Coast when I went to high school. It's like a real coastal beachy sort of vibe and I think I was like the only Asian kid that went to high school, you know, and not realising on the other side now when I'm starting to look at, you know, my daughter going to kindy, you start, you know, she's going to school in a year. So you start to look at schools and you start to think about like what kind of education system you would like to have your child in or not even education, more like the environment that you want them to be in. And yeah, it's been really triggering because I'm like the first and foremost thing is for me, like she needs to be at school, obviously that, you know, fosters creativity and all of the parenting philosophies that we echo and sort of feel very strongly about but mainly she needs to be around other Asian kids you know people that look like her that there's lots of diversity because I want her to never feel displaced or feel that push and pull you know feels like she's really different she feels Feels too different she feels different within that environment so yeah I feel like for a lot of my high school life I felt I guess the word is displaced I could probably think of a better word but yes And then prior to Radiant Birth and motherhood, what were you doing with your work and your career? So I was dancing since I was like three years old and that kind of became quickly from something that was like a little bit of a, my Korean name is Jong Soon, which means upright and clear. So I'm like, I just feel like I've always 
felt like very focused. I don't know if it's like the Korean in me, but yeah, I started dancing at three. And then when we moved to England, I was accepted into the Royal Ballet. So I studied there, came back to Australia. Yeah, and I continued to do full-time dancing, a long time full-time school. So what that looks like is like finishing school. At, what's time to school finish? Three. Three or something. Three or four. Three. Going straight to three. rehearsals. Wow. 3.20, I can clarify. School finishes. <laughs> three <laughs> school mum. School, yeah, school mum. School mum. Yeah, yeah 3.20. Sorry, 3.15. Oh, my God. I'm not <laughs> there you go. It's 3.15. 3.15. Well, that's like you're five minutes late. Very it's all specific. Right. Yeah. Yeah, finishing school at 3.15 and then – walking to ballet and then dancing until like nine o'clock getting picked up then doing on the weekends doing on Saturdays Sundays competitions and then when I finished school I was when I was in year 11 and 12 my school because it was just not very progressive didn't have dance as a subject Mm. But there was at the time, like HSC, there was a possibility to do that. So I did private dance tutoring to do that. And then I got accepted into the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is like a private arts school, like a big arts school, you know, where Hugh Jackman went and um, um, Heath Ledger. And anyway, just like an art school there and I did dancing there. And during that time, I was doing some internships with some dance companies in Melbourne, so Chunky Move at the time, and Lucy Guerin. And I was like, wow, Melbourne's a great dancing. So, yeah, I finished up like just shy of like 20, got accepted into VCA to do my honours and came to Victoria and then, yeah, just did that for fucking too long, you know. (laughs) You must have been a really good dancer. You must have been a really Uh, good dancer. Like I don't think I was good. (laughs) I think I was like okay. I'm dedicated. I mean. You had the focus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Only talent can get you so totally fine so in anything. Mm. I think it's definitely with any kind of career path, right? Mm. It's about drive and dedication and like determination and also mm. like getting back up after you get rejected, mm. you know, really. Yeah. There's not a very fruitful arts community in Australia. Mm. I don't mean to sound negative, but it's mm. not. It's not existence. We live in a community that values sport mm. over the arts. So there's not many opportunities to be dancing in Australia as a full-time gig, you know, so you have to sort of think laterally when it comes to making that as a career, you know. I danced overseas in Vienna and London and I came back. I did a final tour with Sydney Dance Company in 2015 and then I was like, mm. I'm done. Yeah. This is it. You know, I'm ready to move on with my life now. I grew up doing ballet too and it's such a disciplined art form. Yeah. I actually, I finished doing it when I was maybe about 13 because we made a a geographical move and the new ballet school that I went to just didn't quite fit with me. But everything that I learned from the foundations of ballet, like the discipline, the focus and even the grace has really like carried through my life and really still has a lot to do with the person that I am yeah. today. I think because of the heavy discipline, yeah. you know, it sort of sticks with you. Have you found that? Yeah, t- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've met lots of people in this like motherhood space and like lots of my really good friends now mm. who are creatives doing different things. But, mm. you know, they all started their roots in ballet, you know, just like yeah. finishing, you know, putting up their point shoes when they were yeah. like 18 when it just, you know, became like, yeah. okay, maybe this isn't something that I want to do for the rest of my life, you know. So moving forward a few years, and I'm sure a lot happened in those few years, but when you became a mum to your daughter Sunday, can you tell us a little bit about 
I guess, what your introduction to motherhood was like? So it's funny because, you know, we don't really talk about conscious conception, like mindful conception enough, I think, in this space. At the time, I thought Sunday was like an accident that happened, you know. Happy accident. Happy accident. (laughs) But like if I reflect deeply on it, it was like really a conscious decision that was made. We'd gone to Korea the year before. We went back to the adoption agency I was from. We had gone to the orphanage. It was like a real full healing journey for me. I went with my husband. We hung out with a bunch of different like adoptive Korean kids who were adopted who went and found their biological families and like moved back to Korea and rerouted, like learned about the history of Korea at the time. You know, my friend Aaron, he had just finished doing a documentary on adoptive kids in the 80s and how like Korea didn't have any natural resources and we were resourcing our babies Mm. for a cash injection and single mothers were actually encouraged to give up their kids. So there was like all these learnings and healing wounds that were happening at the time. Yep. Then, you know, a few months later, Sunday was conceived. So, yeah. you know, like it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Her being a daughter, like being my daughter, you know, my only blood lineage, that being a very healing process as well, from coming full circle to accepting my mother yep. to becoming a mother. Yeah. yeah. You were just saying before we started recording about really wanting to have a girl for that yeah. reason and that you only saw a girl and that that was important to you for that. Yeah, it was really profound, you know. Yeah. And I never like not shy to talk about that as well. There was like a deep feminine energy within me that needed to be closed, I guess, you know. Yeah. Did you know you were having a girl? Uh, Yeah, we found out because I was just so impatient. You know, my doctor was like, oh, you don't, you know, you're really low risk. You don't really need to take the test. I was like, give me the test. I was the same. (laughs) Give me the test. Yeah. Yeah. So you gave birth to Sunday. Yes. And then within that first year, you yeah. built your incredible business, Radiant Birth. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about this community that you've built for expectant mothers? And yeah. So Radiant Birth was conceived about six months postpartum. I feel like, you know, when we're in those early postpartum mm. phase, and I'm really interested in it, and I talk a lot about it on our space, and like we have a journal series as well that really dives deeply into it but I feel like for a lot of us the first time we've gone from like doing to being Mm. actually sitting with ourselves listening to ourselves and within that silence there's such a huge surge of creativity that happens and that happened for me you know I'm like naturally creative naturally left and it just sort of happened like I entered matrescence with not much of a community yep I thought, how would it feel like to enter pregnancy with a community? So before you're entered into some kind of postcode, which kind of puts you in some mother's group. And just because you're in a postcode doesn't mean that you share a common interest. And you you hear a lot of negative experiences from those mother's groups, positive ones as well, but... Yeah, I feel like pretty in tune with like people who have experienced that. And then obviously the mother's group during COVID was actually stripped away for so many people. Oh, yes. (laughs) It was really connected. Yeah. I never did mother's group. Yeah, mum's school dropouts, the best. (laughs) But yeah, how would it feel to enter such a huge period of your life from pregnancy to birth to postpartum with that shared experience being Mm -hmm. the course, you know? Then obviously being so into like Eastern medicine, I really wanted to integrate that in a really holistic and kind of 
honorable way that paid respect. So we have like a TCM doctor that leads postpartum as well. So postpartum is really integrated within the course. Of course, we have like a big component that's birth education that integrates, you know, the energetics and physiology of birth, as well as, you know, pranayama and like, you know, sound and movement and yoga that can be integrated for like actual labor. Mm. But I think postpartum is often neglected and we kind of step into matrescence feeling obliterated without preparing for it. So what happens if that was just kind of a verbatim? Do you know what I mean? No one talks about matrescence either, you know, more so now. But when I first had my first baby, it wasn't really a thing. Like, no, none of my friends had kids, like, really at that time. But when I eventually read more about that, I was kind of, I was pretty mind-blown because it made sense, but no one had ever mentioned it to me before. Whereas like adolescence, we talk about that all the time, you know, entering into such a transformative time in your life, but not when you become a mum. It's like, okay, now you've got a baby. Now you've just got to learn to to parent, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I met this mother and my mother's group who slipped a disc five weeks postpartum after a cesarean section who was doing F45. Now, like... Five weeks after, did you say? Yeah, five oh. weeks postpartum. What was she doing you do F45 45 five weeks after? Well, this is the thing because I don't blame her. Like, that's society. There are some serious things that we need to unlearn. We need to learn that, like, not doing is as powerful as doing, oh, you know? Yeah. So this is really integrated, obviously, with having a TCM doctor leading that part, you know, the first 40 days. Yeah. TCM, do you mean Chinese medicine? Uh, sorry, traditional, traditional Chinese, Chinese medicine, medicine doctor, yeah. you know, and how in those first 40 days you can kind of transform your whole experience of entering mm. into motherhood. Mm. You know, in the West we call it golden month or something, but traditionally yeah. it's called like month in confinement, a whole moon cycle. Is there something that's traditional in Korea? Or? Yeah, so it's very similar to the 40 days of yeah just 40 days of rest I mean there's some things that I couldn't do which was like not washing but resting connecting eating warming foods just focusing on healing Mm. breastfeeding and becoming a mother and just sitting with yourself but I also want to say that also comes with like a huge amount of privilege as well because you know to do that you need resources and you need financial, you know, support. And do you think that that happens for second-time mums? Absolutely not. They're like up the next week. They have got three-year-olds that they need to take to the park or kindy drop-off or – whole number of – There's a whole – Matter of factors, you know, Mm. not everyone has access to a postpartum doula or can invest Mm. in their health in that sort of way. Mm. I don't want to like cloud people's, you know, feeling like they are failing by not doing something like that. Mm. But I guess it's more just the smaller learnings that you can take from it. Maybe it's like saying no to someone when you don't really want to visit her or instead of getting some more onesies, you can just ask for someone to bring some lunch over for you, you know. I think just not putting that pressure on yourself in those first, well, first few months really, like allowing yourself to just be and that that's okay because I think probably society puts a lot of pressure on us as well that you think you need to be doing all these things, you need to be up and about, you need to be seeing people when really you need to be focusing on your baby and resting because – 
you know, you've but just I think been for through. all of us, sorry, I didn't mean to cut That's you off. Right. I think for all of us, like in our Western society, it's just a cultural lack. We're not brought up mm. with this 40 days of sitting or yeah. we're not made aware or educated or taught that that's okay you know we're taught the opposite so because we have bounce back culture yeah like you don't look like you've had a baby Mm. like how toxic is that that language you know why would I want to look like I haven't just had had a baby baby because yeah yeah. I have and like it's the most profound thing that's ever happened to me and it's almost offensive saying that I don't even look like a mum because I'm a whole new person you know or the mum being at f45 five weeks in because she obviously feels that she needs to get back out there and exercise Exactly, and that is just from like, yeah, Western culture, whereas like in so many parts of Asia and China and Korea and Indonesia, mm-hmm. these are kind of non-negotiables mm. no matter how rich, no how, matter how poor, because people come together because they know how freaking important it is, you yeah. know? Yeah. They know that the survival of the mother is the ecosystem, that mothers are the start of an ecosystem. Without us, society doesn't exist. Mm. Okay, time for a quick breather. (sighs) We just want to acknowledge the support of our friends at Swiss Wellness for helping us bring this episode to you. Swiss Wellness, making people around the world healthier and happier. Now let's get back to the episode. So we want to talk a little bit more about community and a little bit more in depth and just hear a little bit more about your personal experience with it because you were saying before that you know it was something that you started thinking about or started forming for yourself in pregnancy so I'm interested to know a little bit more about how you navigated that and how you found it but also what you've seen from the women that you support in Radiant Birth as well. I think Bobby Clark really nails this one I read an interview with her recently it's like I can't really say quote unquote Mm -hmm. but she said something along the lines of Community is not going to knock on your door. You have to be open. You have to open yourself. You've got to, you know, what does Elsa say? Like you've got to open the floodgates, right, <laughs> yeah. of Arendelle. You do. You have to open yourself up to community mm. and connecting to different people. So I feel like to start creating that, that means being vulnerable. Mm. It means like being at a play park with your kids and like smiling to the mother next mm-hmm. to you and like, hey, how old's your kid? You know, mm. what's happening? You know, and then that conversation might lead into something else. Oh, where do you live? Oh, do you live around the corner? Oh, cool. Maybe we should grab a coffee t- sometime, you know? Yeah. Mm. I've actually met so many amazing friends through play parks and, yeah. you know. That's such common ground when you're yeah. in that space with your kids Yeah, totally. Too. Or at kindy pickups and drop-offs and stuff, you mm. know. Like my husband is so good at connecting with new people. I don't know what it is. He's just like so amazing at that. But, you know, I remember being stopped at the gates at Kindy by this Brazilian butcher, you know, saying, (laughs) oh, my gosh, our girls are friends. You need to come over to our house and, like, have dinner. So nice. Like, so beautiful. Mm. Like, how beautiful is that? Mm. So we went to their house for dinner, you know, and, like, now they're our good parental friends, you know. It's about being really open and connecting to maybe communities that you potentially wouldn't have as your past self, you yeah. know? Yeah. I have to say that you're saying that your husband's good at it, but my experience with you, Yana, is that you're really yeah. good oh, at it as you're well. You're great at it. Thanks. And <laughs> we sort of have, you know, mutual connections with yeah. you outside of social media, but mostly we're connected over Instagram. Yeah. But originally, you know, I first bought some of your birth oh, posters. Oh, right. my posters, and yeah. And you very kindly dropped them at my house and realised that I lived in the same street as a friend that you knew. Yes. And you texted me afterwards and 
and said, you know, I've got a friend that lives in the street. She's just had a baby as well. And I had just had my second child at the time. And you put us in contact. And I felt like at the time, you know, it was a really lovely and um, generous offer. But then when you actually followed it up and put us in contact and then the friend and I then got in contact we made a friendship. We got together. It was so nice. And we have you to thank for that. And oh, I honestly, like, I honestly thought to myself, there needs to be more people doing more of that because we all say, oh, well, we'll ha- let's have dinner. We'll have coffee. Yeah. We'll do this. We'll do that. But, you know, there's a lot of not actually making action with it. There's a lot of saying it and not doing the it. The follow through is real, right? You've got to follow through. And then it's the follow off as well. Yes, because just true. because someone doesn't reply to you, you know, the depths of motherhood, it's very busy. Mm. You might be like breastfeeding and then you've got like some other kid like screaming at you simultaneously and someone sent you a message to reach out. Doesn't mm. mean that because they haven't written back to you doesn't mean that it's all off. It means they're probably in that moment like totally the missed it, you know. Yeah. So it's really about the follow up as to hey just following up on that message I sent you like Mm. would you like to grab a coffee sometime or whatever you know go to Mm. the play park or however you enjoy stuff but I think Instagram is like a beautiful tool for connecting and growing community you Mm. know met so many beautiful friends who are so on the level with parenting and our kids being the same age, we've got beautiful play groups that are going on through there in the back end, you know? Mm. So nice. Yeah. One thing that I was going to ask next is community is a bit of a word that gets thrown around a lot mm. and I feel like for some people that haven't found that place of belonging or place of, you know, really feeling connected or, or feeling safe within a group, yeah. where do they start? I honestly think it starts with the DM. Like, yeah, yeah. I really do because we had, I had this really beautiful mum reach out to me like a couple of days ago. She'd just come from Scotland and I was like, oh my gosh, you're just from Scotland. She's like, she asked me, how did I make friends? Like, that was her question. She was like, how did you make friends? How, how did you build community? Yeah. I'm like, exactly the way that you did. So you good. just reached out. And then now on Anzac Day, all of us are her and a bunch of, my other girlfriends are like going on a play date together, you know. It starts with so nice. That, you know, the bravery of reaching out or like asking something with authenticity, you know, like and I could feel in her message she was like feeling like she needed to be held, you know. Yeah. Not that yeah. I can hold everyone, but you know, I think it's just such a nice thing to do. Mm. So you mentioned before that you were adopted from a Korean yeah. background. So f- I guess from your perspective and from a mental health and well-being perspective, what are your thoughts on the importance of inclusion within communities? Oof. Oof. Okay. It's a big question. Huge question. I think the motherhood space or whatever you want to call it, like this motherhood space is like very white. When we talk from a branding perspective, when we talk about like, you know, small brands popping up, belly oils, blah, blah, blah. Mm Mm-hmm kids clothes feels very white I think the birthing community is very white as well I'm currently studying with Rhea Dempsey at the moment there's like 15 women training to be birth attendants there and I'm the only Asian woman okay that's like there's definitely systemic problems I don't really have the answer to it but yeah as far as like community as it feels at the moment, it feels very white. It's a real shame, for lack of a better word, because 
like within, if we're talking about community, within communities, I think diverse perspectives are so valuable to everybody. But we're not going to get those diverse perspectives if it's not an inclusive environment. And, you know, you can say inclusive environment again and it can mean yeah. a bit like what does that yeah. mean and, and maybe a bit of a token. But if it's not a really safe place for people to feel included, then they're not going to feel comfortable to express their diverse perspectives. So like we're the ones missing out by not encouraging true inclusivity. Yeah, I think it's really like the white women doing the work, you know. Mm. I'm not talking like posting a person of colour on your Instagram feed. I know there's so much of no, that now. Yeah. Because you think that's the right, right thing, thing to, to do. do. Yeah. I'm like fucking do the work from the inside, mate. Yeah. Like, you know, do the work from the inside. Like if you have a business and you're wanting to like champion like diversity and mm. like different stories, then hire people from the inside yes. to yeah. do the work. Yeah. You know, you can only do the work by listening and learning. Yeah. It has to be from within. It has to be from people of power. I'm not talking about if you've got a big business hiring people in the warehouse and like mm, hiding no. them behind closed doors. Yeah, put them I'm in talking them putting power. them in positions of power and making those decisions. You know, they need to be the key decision makers. And especially as a mother, if you actually really want to raise your kids mindfully, Mm. then do the work. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. From a parenting perspective, I feel so strongly about that too. And I'm like, how do I just surround my child amongst, um, you know, people who do look different to her and interact with those people and, yeah, really encourage her to feel like that is normal because that's what I believe should yeah. be normal. Not just different, it's normal. and Exactly, not different, normal. And, you know, it's actually I found it hard to find the right places to do that. And I'm like, why is this hard? It shouldn't be, you know. So there is still such a disconnection, but it's something that I'm forever striving to work towards to raise my own children. I think there's a lot of work and change to be done. Yeah, I mean, a movement called Black Lives Matter didn't happen for a reason, Mm. you know. Let's not be tone deaf to it. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, I'm going to move to a bit of a different direction now, but we did speak briefly before about that creative rebirth that you experienced after giving birth to Sunday, which I know like we've spoken about that a lot and a lot of mums do speak about that. What sort of gave you that real push and that confidence to go ahead and actually start Radiant Birth? Because so many people have – great ideas but they just don't get to that next you know step of actually doing it and making it a real thing. I had a conversation with one of my best girlfriends Bunny who owns a yoga studio where I teach and where the course is facilitated and it was kind of just that simple conversation of her being like oof mate this is a great idea just do Mm. it you know and then from there it just sort of happened. I think that there's We live in a country that there is just so many resources and there is so much potential. You know, everyone has been granted an education. Lots of people have gone to university. We're so, so fortunate and so privileged in Australia. So Mm. any idea has to start from nothing, right? Mm. Mm. Write it down, map it out. There's so many free resources as well. There's like so many amazing like business building podcasts. There's so many online courses that you can do for free or PDFs you can download when it comes to like creating something. So I think that the resources are sort of there at at your fingertips for one to 
giving you the kind of structure, I guess, or like guidance yeah. to creating something that's yours. And then I think, I guess, I don't know if this answers the question, but like, I think it's enough if you believe, mm. if you deeply believe in something that you do, that you love something so much and that there's like such a pull, then the people will come. Mm. Yeah. I really believe that. People can see through bullshit, you know? Yeah. Like if you, if you with your whole heart believe that birth is bigger than you, like that's for me, I was like, birth is so much bigger than us. Motherhood is so much bigger than us, you know? If you believe in what you're doing is so important, then someone else will feel that same feeling as you, you know, mm. that deep pull too. Yeah, I think it's such a good point and such a nice takeaway, you know, like open yourself up, be vulnerable in all the things that we've spoken to, you know, to finding a community, to following your desires or your dreams or, you know, all of that thing. It's, it all sort of simply comes back to being open, being honest, being authentic, being vulnerable. Believing in yourself too. Yes. Believing in yourself, which which isn't always the easiest thing. It's probably the hardest thing on the list. And also I would just like to say you don't need to start a business as cash as well. That is also I would like to say like I think that's a misconception. Mm. I started Radiant Birth on like I think like $2,500. Like do you know what I mean? Of my own savings. It was just, you know, started a Squarespace like (laughs) website. Do you know what I mean? Like just like pulling your contacts, ask people help you as well you know Mm. I don't think you need like a whole wad of cash to like start something I think that's what can be like a really scary thing yeah oh my god I'm gonna need like ten thousand dollar investment to start this thing but you can start things small and you can start things small I know people who have started like belly oil businesses in their Mm. home you know what I mean or postpartum doulas like cook it's you know they cook Mm. at home like they don't need a commercial kitchen to start something that's theirs, you know. So how do you mentally and emotionally manage the juggle of work, running the business and then also looking after your daughter? I rely a lot on my husband a lot to pick up a lot of the slack. He's like definitely, you know, I speak a lot about this, about co-parenting and equal load, but Mm. it's very important to us. Mm. We're in a nuclear family. Well, you know, (laughs) again, (laughs) got to do the, you know, like I want her to grow up that like, we both are so capable and we're both so there for her. Mm. So, yeah, I rely a lot on Michael, to be honest. Teamwork. Teamwork, yeah, yeah, teamwork. And I also feel like parenting gets easier with time as well and they become more independent, you know. Mm. Like she's three and a half now. She takes a shower by herself. She, like, opens a fridge, pours yeah. a bottle of milk for herself, chucks it in the microwave, How presses good. on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they like, do. They become, they grow up really, really they quickly. They grow up really quickly and, you know, I'm not really in the depths of like, you know, newborn phase anymore. So mm. things are a lot, there's a lot more freedom with less guilt as well. Mm. Well, Yana, we could keep talking to you for days and I feel like we've only kind of just touched on some really important topics. I don't really want this chat to end, but Let's continue just, it offline. Yeah. <laughs> but let's just finish off with a couple of things that you do for yourself to make yourself feel well or make yourself feel okay. good. Okay. Long showers. Yeah. Mm, Love nice a long shower. long shower. I wish I had a bath. It's not the case. <laughs> Fresh air. Going for a walk. Even an evening walk is beautiful once the kids are asleep. That's really great. Yoga, but that is like, I'm going to be honest, few and far between. That mm. happens. Is it because it's moment. your work as well? Yeah, because of because of work yeah. and just you know weekends and all that kind yeah. of stuff, and cooking. Yeah, 
I love cooking. I feel like cooking is just like such a beautiful way to decompress after a day. You know, Michael's like, you know, rallying the bedtime stuff that's happening in the background but yeah cooking your recipes all look amazing when I see you post on Instagram Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah I love cooking I feel like that's a really nice wind down Mm. for a day yeah yeah I agree if you give yourself the time to enjoy it yeah very enjoyable (laughs) Yana thank you so much we truly truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to be with us and share all of your knowledge and your experiences and your personal insights as well as your professional insights so thank you so much thanks for having me thanks (laughs) thank you that's it for today make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on instagram at talking in common or you can check out our facebook page which is also talking in common have a lovely day and as always thanks for listening